Transportation Matters, the CEO podcast of Daimler Trucks and Buses. Welcome to our new episode of Transportation Matters. My name is Martin Daum. I'm the CEO of Daimler Truck AG, and I hope all of you are well and healthy. Thank you so much for being with us again. In this episode of our podcast, we want to talk about a major force of the economy, a force that is crucial in every industry and also for us in commercial vehicles. I'm speaking of entrepreneurship. Without entrepreneurship, new ideas would remain just that, new ideas. It takes entrepreneurship to turn them into real products and services. It takes a lot of entrepreneurship, for example, to turn future sustainable transportation into a business case and to make it a reality. That is why we at Daimler Truck strive for even more entrepreneurship with our planned independent public listing by the end of this year. For today's episode, I've got a great entrepreneur with me right here, Austin Russell. Austin is the CEO of Lumina Technologies, a US-based company he founded in 2012. His vision for Lumina is to make autonomous and ultra-safe vehicles a reality, and we are proud to partner with him in the field of autonomous trucking. Austin is what you would call a tech wunderkind. He started his company when he was just 17 years old, and the public listing in 2020 put him on the map as one of the youngest billionaires ever. Austin, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. And Austin, when I was preparing for that show, for that interview, I was amazed to learn about your use. I was told at least, and I don't know whether this uh, fairy tales are, is reality. It, it sounds like a fairy tale that you memorized the periodic table of elements when you were two years old. And as a young teenager, your parents told you that you could only have a mobile phone if you would build it yourself. And you did exactly that. I don't have no clue. A, is it true? And B, how can a two-year-old do that? And how can a young teenager build his own mobile phone? <laughs> um, yes, it is true, you know, around that. But um, I got an early start to a lot of these things. And it really made all the difference to just getting an understanding around science, technology, and just always wanting to understand the way and the how things worked. Well, the story with the periodic table is actually, um, I was at a store with my parents, they were shopping, and uh, I saw a periodic table, like a sheet, uh, so to say, that you could use as a placemat as mm -hmm. well for uh, Yeah, I remember those, stuff. yes, yeah. Exactly. Like different colors for the different ele exactly. element groups. And exactly, so, yeah. and uh, I made it a mission to want to understand the universe around me, so I would study that, I would read encyclopedias, I would do other stuff just really early on to try and uh, really get and gain an appreciation for these things. And obviously, I didn't understand the full implications of what all of it meant at the end of the day, but it was enough to be able to... Uh, start getting into science and uh, learning chemistry and ultimately the path into the world of technology. And when it comes to the whole hardware, software side, I did start also by building a number of different devices. But the, one of the first products that I had was that Nintendo DS is a cell phone type thing. Well, yeah, my parents wouldn't get me a cell phone. So I really uh, thought, okay, well, I can build a VoIP phone by using and, and hacking into the firmware on this uh, this Nintendo DS, like the Game Boy type system that, yeah, that I did have at the time. So that was close enough to be able to make it work. Uh, but um, but yeah, I think the project got progressively more extreme from there, from building 
long-distance wireless power transmission systems with lasers and supercomputer systems and a, a bunch of different types of devices that I thought would ultimately have an impact on the world in terms of reaching new capabilities as opposed to just modifying existing things. So that's what's set on the trajectory, but it all starts with that innate sense of wanting to know the hows and the why for things work. And that is because your mom had a Nobel Prize in physics and your <laughs> father was a tech fund manager or, or how did that? Uh, yeah, <laughs> quite the opposite. Um, you know, my, my, yeah, my dad is real estate and uh, my mom at one point did modeling and also public speaking, a few other things. And how so. does then a kid just come <laughs> up with that? Any idea what made you so special? Well, uh, they always said, um, do your black magic in the garage and we'll slip food under the door here mm -hmm. too. So um But I didn't really know either of them, but I did find out later on that my grandfather on my dad's side was an engineer that built or invented the electric blankets, you know, mm -hmm. and my a grandfather on my mom's side was actually a race car driver. He actually raced for Daimler, for Mercedes, interestingly enough. It's like, wow, okay. I didn't really know either of them, but um, there's got to be some genes that skipped over a generation onto me. You came across the potential of LIDAR. Yeah, and when I read that you with 14, 15 started to look into technology possibilities of LiDAR, and I look into my own life, I think it took me until I was 50 or 55 until I realized that the word LiDAR exists at all. Uh, and it took me some time until I understood what LiDAR is. And I would say most of our listeners, if we would do a survey and ask them, what is a LiDAR? So could you explain them and help them so they don't have to go to Wikipedia? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So LIDAR stands for uh, light detection and ranging. It's basically like people are familiar with generally, or more so at least, with radar systems, you know, heard of it or what it does. Uh, in this case, it's with lasers, basically really high resolution, really high performance systems that will allow you to get a ground truth understanding of everything around you. And in our case, we're able to measure millions of points out there sending out laser pulses to measure the exact distance to objects down to centimeter level precision. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's something that, that is a system that and a concept that's existed for decades at this stage. But it's always been a challenge of either very low performance or they cost a million dollars for a system or whatever it may be. There's been no mainstream practical application of the technology. But what turns out when it comes to autonomous driving and these kinds of systems They actually require this exact kind of thing to have a very accurate understanding of everything going on around them so they can safely navigate. And when it comes to the inspiration for building these systems early on, it was less even about LiDAR specifically for me. It was more just about the new frontier of optics, lasers, and everything. Okay, let's go into this new frontier. Let's dive deep. LiDAR is a key application of these kinds of laser systems and technologies and something that can be applied in the real world, but it's going to need a new approach. But LiDAR, why LiDAR, why not just radar? You know, radio frequencies was, is an established thing to detect things in the distance by then going to laser. What's the advantage? How would you yeah. do the elevator pitch to someone who does not know? I'd say from a big picture perspective, you know, generally when you think of radio waves versus light waves, the amount of density of data and information and content can be just orders of magnitude higher, dramatically higher. Everything from, think of additional radio communication versus you know, modern internet from using uh, fiber, you know, and laser yeah. communications. And when it comes to LIDAR versus radar, the difference is, is just the performance of the system, the safety of the system. It's orders of magnitude better in terms of the amount of data, the quality of the data. You know for sure what's going on. You see everything. 
and dramatically better quality of data. And what does that mean in this context? It trend all translates to safety. So that was your idea. Then you went to Stanford, then you get bored, and then you started a company. How was that process? Some of my later years of high school, I went briefly to this place called the Beckman Laser Institute, which was this graduate program for laser systems after they saw some mm. of the work that I was doing. It was a joint institute between Caltech, Stanford, UCI, mm -hmm. and a couple other places. And I grew up in Southern California, so they had a center there that I was that they brought me into, and I was able to set up a lab, do some of the research. Got recruited up at Stanford, though, after that, and uh, yes, was there for about six months. I always knew I probably wasn't going to last, you know, for the full duration or that academia probably wasn't going to be for me. But I think what helped accelerate it was there was this program called the Teal Fellowship. Mm -hmm. was, so I was sponsored actually by this guy, Peter Teal, who heard about my work. And he was the founder of PayPal and uh, a huge you know, entrepreneur supporting yes. others. Yeah. So he, he was the founder of PayPal along with Elon Musk. And then subsequently, he was also the first investor in a company called Facebook. One of his things was that uh, for many types of entrepreneurs, College doesn't always make sense. Sometimes you have ideas, opportunities, and things that, that exist today that where there's a huge opportunity to do that. And the thing is, is that no one can ever really teach you how to build a company from the ground up. Some of these things, you really just have to learn from other entrepreneurs. You have to learn from the environment, and you have to learn by just sheer willpower and uh, IQ and EQ and all the different things that have to go into it to, to, to make this work. So that was part of the value of, of getting that great entrepreneurship network from this Teal Fellowship program. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yes, I did already have foundation for a company and opportunities and what I wanted to do and and uh, IP and patents that I'd filed. I was fortunate enough to be familiar with that process. I think I'd filed my first patent when I was, it was like 12 originally. So, you know, it was, it was a good trajectory. And when it comes down to it, I think that it's not, you know, skipping college is not the right path for everybody. But I think it's good to recognize that uh, there is absolutely a path to do that that can lead to success. No, no, this is, uh, and what you said, it's clear to have an idea is not enough. You know, to make the idea of coming true and changing the world is the importance. There's entrepreneurship. And I mean, I can go back into the history uh, of our company, you know, Daimler and Benz. They were, today, we would call them startups. Yeah, uh, coming up with the crazy things to replace a horse. When right. I go to the museum, there is this one sentence where the German emperor put his final verdict on the car and said it will never take off because there are far too few people who can drive such a thing and far too many people who can ride a horse. Yeah, so, so much for predictions. And it takes this entrepreneurship, this courage to go out with a the product. Therefore, I like when I look at your website and we list the values of your company and on top is entrepreneurship. How would you define an entrepreneurship if you were hiring out people and they ask you, what do I have to do to qualify for an entrepreneur? I think there's two different aspects of this. One is what you're building and who is the who and how you're building. And for the what you're building, I think when it comes to entrepreneurship, the best or most successful types of ideas to start with breakthrough principles that are foundational and come with a whole new regime or way of thinking altogether. And To use that exact sample that you just had around building a vehicle, you know, let's say versus a horse. If you ask people 200 years ago, what did they want to see in a major transportation iteration? And they're like, well, what would you want if you could dream it up? And the thing they would dream up is, oh, I want a faster horse. They never think that I want some, you know, complex automobile that runs on like a piston engine that's able to be able to drive at however many kilometers or miles per hour, you know, down the road in this form factor. No. Um, so so, that, so that's where the entrepreneur comes in, of where you have to be able to create 
a new mindset around the problem that you're solving. And, and whether, whether it's a big problem or whether it's a small problem, it has to be disrupted because oftentimes, you know, even in Silicon Valley, you know, where it spent so much time, you really have to see that kind of 10x type improvement if you want to be able to be disruptive enough to actually break through in a market and to establish something very, very significant. So there's, there's that side of it. And the other side of it is the who and the how. And I think the most important thing for what is entrepreneurship, at least successful entrepreneurship, is the intersection between passion, curiosity, and drive. Those three things work magic. If you have the right idea and plan, and you have those three elements, and you can maintain it through all the ups and downs, you know, everything. Everyone always thinks that success is a straight line. You start from here, and you go to here, and it's a straight line. The reality is, and uh, you won't be able to see my hand here in the room in the podcast, but uh, drawing a lot of loop-de-loops up, down, left, right, uh, all the way up into the right. But when you have those three things and you have the right concept, it makes all the difference. And building that, that's how you can build great companies. I mean, that's how the greatest companies of our time and generation have been built. And uh, there's no reason why you can't do it again. Mm. Oh, and and uh, because when you would ask in our industry entrepreneurship, yeah, we would start with customer driven, which is really important. Uh, you have to look at business cases. For what can you sell it? How much does it cost? How did it work out with funding and so on? But it's not the real dis- disruptive force, yeah? Because what you describe as disruption means you can ask any customers and you would never come up with what you dream of. If I would ask you at the beginning of a business model, you don't know the product, not knowing how much it will cost and therefore not how much you can sell it. But yet, you have the feeling if you are successful with your dream, you have something suddenly everyone wants. And then the rest is is happening by itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the same applies across industries. When Steve Jobs first created the iPhone, you know, yeah. pe- people didn't know what they want. You have to take customer inputs and you always have to hear the voice of the customer. Mm. But the, the important part is, is that making smart decisions around what you do, what you don't do, and how you can build a great product out of it. And obviously, this is one part of it. Now, you can have entrepreneurship, you can have intrapreneurship, even within companies, and I'm sure you probably have a lot of that within Daimler as one of the most innovative companies out here. But there's a lot of different elements. And and like I said, this that's the big picture stuff. Now, entrepreneurship can apply small and large, but there's no question that it goes beyond just the day-to-day operational grind and having to think creatively. Mm. Yeah. No, absolutely. And it takes courage. You have to accept failure. I think this is, for companies our size, always a reminder. Yeah, If you are an entrepreneur, you do mistakes. You know, yeah. you do did the invisible graph. You saw all the loops, going backs and forth. And, and that is something, in my opinion, which is very important to allow that. You know, yeah. error... 180 degrees turns are always important as you learn. Totally. Have you seen when you build up your company a couple of years ago and now growing that this is more difficult to maintain? Because starting it was just you and potentially a couple of friends. Yeah. The moment you have 100 or 200 people, it might be completely different. And by the way, if you have 10,000 people, it's entirely different. Right. Uh, no question. And uh, when it comes down to it, no question is difficult to maintain over people, over time, over anything. And that's where you just have to focus on building the right culture for the company. There's the startup saying of move fast and break things early on, which, you know, is I think is a good mantra for as you're starting things up. But once you get to a certain stage, there has to be a successful transition into building a real business out of what you're doing. And, you know, if it was, if you're making educated decisions around things, 
There is there is a, a saying though around that a fail hard and fail fast. Don't let it linger on for mm-hmm. years if it's not the right path in terms of what, what you're taking. And um, at the same time, I think there's also something that we call, and um, actually I think it, it originated from Amazon, of just a principle of bias for action. If you ever have to make a decision of, do I do something, do I not do something? You generally want to lean towards the action of doing something. The important part is if it's a reversible decision. Uh, things that are irreversible decisions mm-hmm. need to carry a lot mm-hmm. more weight. Mm-hmm. Things that are reversible decisions, oh, okay, you go in the door, oh, well, maybe it's not quite what I thought. You can go back out, no problem. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's absolutely amazing, but open the door and go through it and take action. But to continue the debate, this is when we produce, and we call that serious production, we produce the same product 500,000 times a year in the same quality, like the one product we show to the authorities, got the permits with, and which our customers expect for us. How did you, this is a complete different world to have that 500,000 times the same absolute, uh, miraculously faultless thing running off a line and then have on the other side, the more chaotic word of, of trial and error. Right, right. Yes, no question. When you measure failures in parts per million, and you haven't produced a million, yeah. you know, it's a, yeah. <laughs> there's no question. I think the, um, the, the significance here is when you're building a new kind of breakthrough technology, it, it obviously, well, one, it has to be worth it in terms of making it. There has to be a really strong business case. There has to be a great technology. It has to really be that, that different than, than what's out there today. But when you have that, uh, it makes all the difference. And that's where, you know, we had to make sure uh, when it comes to an automotive standpoint, taking the right process from the beginning, because what you can't do is build a technology and then just throw it over the wall to someone and say, hey, go make a million of these. That doesn't exactly work. You could never build that efficiently or effectively and much less reliably and have it as an automotive grade process, which is very important. So, you know, we had to iterate multiple times in the technology, but from an industrialization perspective, also Kevin maintain a key focus on that and bring on top experts from throughout the auto industry to be able to create a series production worthy product system. Mm-hmm. And that's very difficult because it's already, frankly, already difficult enough to be able to produce something for a lot of different applications and use cases. Automotive is one of the hardest that you can you can go into. But while it is a very high barrier to entry, it's also a very high barrier to exit. And at the same time, incredibly lucrative. So there is a very strong business case for it. In fact, argue that uh, it's probably more than all of the other business opportunities in the case of LiDAR, for example, mm. combined. Mm. And it, but it's it's a balance where both sides work together, or you have here the more bureaucratic, process-oriented, get the things done part of your company, and then you have the wild part where the kids with a T-shirt sit and think about the future. Yeah. Uh, two parts or everything mixed? Uh, um, so we do have the uh, the wild kids playground um, that is separate. That's kind of the that's but that's for like five-year planning, even five to 10 years hype, long-range, long-time-frame planning. When it comes to the day-to-day kind of ingenuity and invention and technology and automotive, everything, everybody is together. There is no separation. And we fight that separation all the time. And there is a very healthy dynamic of, it's good when people don't always agree either. You know, not everybody has to like be in an echo chamber agreeing with each other. You, You want to be able to have a merger of these kinds of cultures of getting the best of the technology industry and the best of the automotive industry, specifically the fast pace of the tech industry and the innovative nature, but still the process robustness and product viability of the automotive industry and merge that together. And that's where, you know, we have 
even on, on some of our teams and even like the hardware team, we have people that have built smartphones in volume and we have people that have built from ball bearings to radars in mm-hmm. automotive series production. So you get the right spectrum of talent. And that's one of the most important things that I think is overlooked is people always talk about diversity. They talk about all these other things. And obviously these things are improving, but one of the most important things is diversity of backgrounds of talent that you have coming from different industries. Yeah, absolutely. That's the diversity of ideas, talents, different ways to approach things. Exactly. And to allow that in the same organizational culture without one party always telling the other ones how wrong they are. That is indeed the true diversity. There is a reason why we talk today, because uh, we at Daimler Truck partner with Lumina, because very early we decided when we, and we believe in the future of trucking is autonomous. And we found out that we need something more than just cameras and eyes. I know there is a difference in opinions in the market. We think for safety reasons, we need more. What's your, yeah, to ask you, what's, is the camera enough? No, you don't think so, but potentially you can give some arguments why we need more than just a camera. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so it's interesting you ask, actually, we were just coming from uh, IAA, you know, in the, in the conference here too, and that's why it's great to be in person here. But one of the things that we were showing over there in Munich was actually a couple of different examples and a benchmark of what historically camera systems are able to do and the whole point of what LiDAR enables you to do, starting with just some of the most basic scenarios and um, maybe just a bit of context with, with camera systems. Cameras are great at giving you a 2D set of information. You know, they give you color and spatial resolution, but over two dimensions. The whole point of LiDAR is it gives you that third dimension. You know where the object is, you know, in depth. That's something that people with cameras, you have to extrapolate. You have to guess where that object is. And you can never do so very reliably or accurately. Doesn't Even with the best AI, the best machine learning, the best systems, the thing is, is that as I'm saying, okay, well, humans do it, human brains do it with effectively type camera type systems. Which, by the way, sorry for interrupting you, is is exactly, the, and they do it not good because one of the biggest safety hazards is fog on the roads. And that is where we have then the big pileups right. of accidents where 30, 40 cars get into each other. That's exactly totally. a proof that just eyes or camera don't work in all conditions. There's a significant difference between being able to detect something and be able to have enough confidence in a detection to know something that is really there and to know that it can accurately detect things. And that's the thing, is that with the camera, you're always guessing. You're never really sure if something's there. And there's false positives, false negatives all over the place. There's a lot of noise, so to say. And not too dissimilar from the the radio, uh, you know, comment that you're just having. of It's like, oh, did I hear that right? But when it's a life or death type of situation or decision, it makes all the difference. 99% 99% reliability for a lot of things is good. And you can, and there's ultimately a way to get towards 99% with cameras. Mm. But that for autonomous driving, that is not nearly good enough. Yeah. You need 10 nines worth of reliability. You have to be able to accurately detect everything going on with extreme confidence. And that is the whole point of what the LiDAR delivers. Mm. It gives you that ground truth view of what's out there. And that's how you can save lives with this. Yeah, and we say on the other side, with as few as possible false positives, yeah? Because you can do every system so sensitive that it stops nearly for everything. But you don't want, if a car or truck breaks 50 times for nothing, then the driver might not rely on it anymore. Exactly. And and that's where false negatives are just as important as anything else too. And false positives where, uh, I mean, false positives are just as important as false negatives where it 
right now you can try and tune these systems to where they'll just be breaking all yeah. over the place. Yeah. But every time they see a ghost object, yeah. you know, yeah. which, right. which, where it thinks it sees something, but it's not there, it'll break. So that's the important part is that you need to have the, the, the current level of system. There's no way to tune it appropriately to be able to get the, the right level of detections is that the whole point is, is that you need to really under, you need to reduce those false detections. You need to be able to have extreme confidence. And that's when you can really know when do you take controls over the, from the driver to be able to break the system or steer around the object or whatever it may be uh, as much as anything else. Now, here's the thing. One thing, if you notice that when we're talking about this use case here, it's obviously very relevant to autonomous driving, uh, you know, and it's great to have you guys as a partner in that. What we're doing is about a lot more than just autonomy. It's actually about improving driver safety altogether and even improving the driving experience when we do have human-driven vehicles. Because there's going to be a timeline for autonomy. It's not going to all happen overnight, and it's not going to be on every road, and it's going to start in highways and then move their way out. But there's a direct opportunity as well to be able to reduce the 1.5 million lives lost on the road every year with human-driven vehicles. And how can you improve these safety systems? Well, that's the whole point of where the LiDAR comes into play. That's the point of where this software comes into play. And that's the point of now what we're really going to be starting to deliver into these production vehicles, starting with cars and as well as trucks. So let's focus for the last part of our discussion on autonomous. When would you see driverless cars or trucks on road? How long would it take, in your opinion? So it all, it all depends on how you define it. I think there's been a lot of big promises that have been made. When you take a look at a lot of the robo-taxi companies from the Waymos, Cruises, other stuff, you know, there's promises of where it, it, this is going to be on roads and just uh, seems like sometimes if... Let me help you. We are here on the tracking side. It's easier. Yeah, yeah it's easier. We said we, we don't go into inner cities. We, we go exactly. on the highways where everyone who comes in the same lane in the opposite direction is danger. Yeah, Exactly. And that's the key is that robo-taxi, urban environments, inner cities, very difficult. Mm. You know, that's like a 10-year-plus time frame. Yeah. Opportunities for highway scenarios, that's just a few years out, a couple of years out. But there is one part that is much harder about highways, the higher speed. That, that means you have to see things much farther away. Okay, well, getting that long range becomes very, very important. That's part of what we also come into play with is being able to, with the LIDAR, having very long range detections with high resolution where you can identify what's going out 250 meters, even in some cases out to 500 meters, 600 meters ahead accurately. Yeah. And that was the main reason why we partnered with you when we looked for our Freightliner brand for Torque for our autonomous program because that's the speed issue on the highway. Yep, yeah. exactly. And by the way, this is the same. There's a value with uh, with cars for highway, but with trucks, it's hugely valuable as well, just by sheer economics that, that it's driven by. But I think, yeah, this is an opportunity to be realized. And obviously, you guys are a, a leader in this as well. Yeah, I know. And, and it's exciting to see how fast things progress, to see the numbers of miles increasing without intervention uh, from the safety driver, to see how, I mean, the technology we get from the sensors, you know, get better and better. Yeah, and, and we need less and less computing powers because the, the signals are so much better. So in my opinion, this is really great how this things are progressing. Yep, 100%. Would you see that as a global thing or would you see it uh, focused on the U.S. at the moment? Or are you globally? We're working globally. We have key partners in the U.S. We have key partners in Europe. We have key partners in China um, that we're all launching with in the 2022 through 2024 window. 
And it's certainly exciting to be doing all of that. Part of the value is we get to leverage the same core technology platform and product across the board to be able to realize the economies of scale that are required to really see have this see the light of day. You know, there's so much R&D and so much work that has to go into this that you really want to be able to make sure that um, you can see that that volume of business and at the same time, the ultimate realization of this industry to make this happen. And uh, I think when it comes to not just us, but the larger industry, um, there's no question this is going to be operating at global scale. Now, where does it start is the question. I think a lot of the focus is on the U.S., but just as much as anything, I mean, the, the European markets and the Chinese market will be just as important at the end of the day in terms of seeing this through. And I think it'll be the same. China's the most successful solution to leverage the same technology stack, mm. you know, across the board. And we are excited as well because I think autonomous will be another huge transformation for the entire transportation industry because safety is so much better. I see the efficiency when we go to zero emission, you know, how to use battery electric trucks or hydrogen trucks on, on a hub-to-hub system on highways will make it much more efficient. And ultimately, the usage of streets, you know, because we could pack trucks much better on highways than today. So that would help. The, both the economy, the traffic, things, and solve a lot of problems we have these days. Absolutely. No question. No, Austin, so thanks, first of all, for you and your company supporting us with really a, an absolutely key element. Yeah, Without a LiDAR, in my opinion, autonomous driving wouldn't be possible. Thanks for your inspiring speech about entrepreneurship. I really thank you for that inspiring and really great conversation. We could go on for much longer But I think we need to conclude for today. And thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thanks so much for having me. And uh, great to see you guys continue your leadership in the field. And uh, look forward to continuing to work together towards solving this future. So that's for today. Please join us again for our next episode of Transportation Matters, because transportation truly matters for all of us. Until then, take care and stay healthy. That was Transportation Matters, the CEO podcast of Daimler Trucks and Buses. If you enjoyed what you've heard, share this episode and subscribe to Transportation Matters on your preferred podcast platform. You can do this by tapping the follow or subscribe button right next to the podcast title. 